0: Okay, we're in Philippians 2, and uh, this is Paul's writing from um, prison. He's in Rome in prison, Um, and he is penning this, and uh, this is actually what we're about to read, uh, uh, I'm preaching through with some trepidation. Can I say that? Um, This passage is very interesting because every other passage about Christ um, is actually written From um, people looking at the life of Christ. So they're watching Christ. So when you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, they're people from the outside looking at Christ, watching his life events, and then recording them. This passage is actually gets you inside the heart and mind of Christ Jesus. It's one of the the great theological hallmarks of the New Testament. It's one of the great theological hallmarks of of Pauline, that's the Apostle Paul's uh, theology. And so it's very very important. And um, it's, it's actually uh, been the subject of tremendous tumult in the church. Lots of arguments, lots of ink has been spilled on this little passage, and we're going to try to straighten a few things out. We're going to look at a few things, and then we're going to um, talk about three things that Christ did, and then we're going to flip those three things and make application to our own life. Does that sound good? All right, Philippians 2, we're starting in verse 2. If you have a pen, take it out, because I'm going to tell you to circle a couple things. If you're following along on your phone, I'm sorry. Okay, Philippians 2, starting in verse 2. Then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit, and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. In your relationships with one another. If you've got a Bible and a pen, circle relationships. In your relationships with one another. In my opinion, here's the entire key to this passage. What is what we're about to read about? Relationships. It's all about relationships. So Paul's actually, while it has great theological significance, he's actually saying, hey, here are a few hallmarks about your personal relationships. And if you do these things, it will go well. And what's fascinating about the church in Philippians, we've been talking all about it, but but the problem with the church in Philippi is actually that they were facing disunity. Can you imagine? How many churches do you know that are in the middle of disunity? Come on, let's be honest. America, the American church even, if you look broadly right now, is in the middle of disunity. They're they're sort of divided on a number of different issues. And and so Paul's actually writing to address the disunity in Philippi. It's the only thing that you could actually say the Philippian church wasn't doing well, was their unity one with another. So he's writing this and he says, verse 5, In your relationships with one another, have the same attitude of mind Christ Jesus had. Now, here it is. Verse 6, who being in very nature God, he's talking about Jesus, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. Now, circle that, nothing. He made himself nothing. And if, you're, if you've got a Bible and you want to make a note, write the word keno, K-E-N-O-O. K-E-N-O, it's a Greek word. It means to make yourself nothing. It means to pour out. We're going to look at that in just a minute. By taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a human being, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven And on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Verse 12. Therefore, dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out. If you've got a pen, circle that. Work out your salvation. Does it say work for? How many of us work for our salvation? Come on, be honest. Paul will never tell you to work for your salvation. Your salvation is a free gift given to you by Christ Jesus. But he does say, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Holy Spirit, we need your direct and your intimate revelation this morning on this little passage. And Father, more than anything, we would like to be filled with your spirit, to be changed and conformed into your likeness. Lord, we would like to walk out of this place a little bit more surrendered with lives as individuals, some of us as married couples, some of us as singles, some of us as parents, some of us as young people. But Father, we would like to walk out of this place a little bit more surrendered to you. With you living in us more fully. So, Father, as we tackle a passage that is of huge theological significance, would you bring revelation by your Spirit, and Lord, would you actually use it to change us as a people? In your name we pray, amen. Amen. Okay, so the first thing that I want to point out is that Jesus emptied himself, and I already mentioned the word kino or kinos, it's a Greek word, it means um, to empty, to pour out, and and, and I want you to just think with me for just a second, Um, Jesus is sitting in heaven and I would have loved to have have been a part or watched the conversation between God the Father and Christ Jesus the Son and the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, sort of united, when they brainstormed about how Jesus was going to come to earth. Okay, so pause there just a second. If I, uh, if I gave you a blank sheet of paper and a sharpie this morning and I said, pick a house, any house in Wilmington, pick a car, any car you want, pick a socioeconomic class, any class you want, pick a college that you want an education from, most of us are actually going to write down some things that are probably above where we currently are. Would you agree with that? Thank you for being honest. Most of us are going to go, I'd probably like a house that's a little bit nicer. I'd drive a car that's a little better. I might live in a little higher class. I might, I might. And we would, we would generally uh, elevate ourselves higher in the world in which we lived, right? Right? So in this conversation that I'm sort of imagining between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, they're sitting there, and probably not using English, but nonetheless they're conversing, and they're talking about how they're going to um, redeem lost, broken humanity. And how is it that they actually decided on a little country in the Middle East? Why not Hawaii? (laughs) Why not the Colorado Mountains? I mean, if you could pick anywhere to go and anywhere to live and anywhere to plant yourself, wouldn't you go someplace beautiful? If you could pick any house in the city of Wilmington right now, tell me most of you wouldn't pick some waterfront house somewhere or maybe down on the river or some big restored something downtown or whatever, but you'd pick something that is externally beautiful, right? Most of us. A few of you might be intelligent enough to go, you know what, more money, more problems. I'm downgrading. I'm going to live over here. Okay, fine. Maybe you're more intelligent. Maybe not. I don't know. But here's the thing. Christ Jesus actually decides that he is going to come and inject himself into humanity in, in the little um, unsavory country of Israel. It, it's, a, it's a rather unsavory place if you've ever been. It's dry. It's arid. It's, it's a challenging place to live and it's war-torn and has been forever. And not only that, he actually injected himself into um, a a, a Hebrew culture, a Hebrew body. In America, we tend to think of Jesus as a white American. (laughs) What? (laughs) What? I'm like, what are you even talking about? Christianity didn't originate with white America. It originated with the Hebrew culture and Hebrew people with dark hair and dark skin. That is who he chose. I don't know how white America got so arrogant. That's actually why I started with the Greensboro Four. Now, he chose to inject himself into this little country, into this unique race. Probably, um, of all of the the, the people groups on earth, they've probably been the most discriminated people group ever. Ever! And that's who he chose. And then he didn't chose to be born at the Taj Mahal, or he could have been born at the very center of uh, Caesar's palace, because Caesar Augustus would have been the dude in Rome ruling the world at the time. And he could have been born over there. No, no, he decides to be born where? In a manger in Bethlehem. And, and it probably it wasn't even in a, like a barn, like you and all the little things we see. It, it was probably actually in a cave, because that's where people would have kept their Animals, And if you go to Bethlehem, there's dozens of caves all over the hillside. And inside the caves, there are these little rock cutouts at the back of the caves where they would have stuffed straw for the animals to eat. And that's most likely where Christ Jesus would have been laying. So it's fascinating to me, and it's actually uh, sort of mind-blowing. You know that little emoji you put on your phone? It's extra special for guys who have no hair. Right, Mac? But it's absolutely mind-blowing to me because what happens is he 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 chooses to downgrade himself. He he takes all of um all of who he is and he downgrades himself into the absolute lowest of the low. That is mind-boggling to me. He is um Oh, let me let me say it like this. Let me actually self-divulge something. Oca- occasionally, um, Abby and I, my wife, she's not here. She's home with Amelia, who's uh, doing better, by the way. Um, and we think they'll be back next week. So anyway, that's good. But let me let me divulge. Abby and I are not. Um, we're not like yellers or fighters. We don't we don't really do that. If that ever happens, or we're that upset, we usually just kind of go silent and wait until things calm down, and then we get back together and work it out. But occasionally, um, we will get sideways. I'd call it like a kerfuffle or a fuss or whatever. Do you believe your pastor fusses? We do. We do. I'm sorry to tell you. We do. But occasionally, we'll get into a little kerfuffle over, um, and this is really funny. This This is a thing just probably unique to us. I don't know. About whose idea something was. Is that not silly? Like, when I stop and think about it, I'm so embarrassed to even tell you that. We'll get in a fuss about whose idea whatever it was we're doing was. I'm like, well, it was my idea. And she's like, nah, and we're, we kind of, nah, 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 nah. <laughs> now, now, just think about that just a second. You have Christ Jesus who's born to a 13-year-old Mary or 14-year-old Mary, and he created her. He created Joseph. He created the manger, the cave, the Bethlehem, the world. He created Caesar. He put stuff in place that allowed Rome to be built and rise up as an empire. And he left it all. He demanded no credit. He, like, forsook it all. He left it all behind. It literally, says, it literally says, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. Kino, he poured himself out. Everything. He took on the very nature of a servant. Matt, you may have already put up Keno. You'll do that for me. Kino, it's just a little Greek word, and it means literally to empty. It means to pour out. But you have Christ Jesus, the creator of heaven and earth, the author of everything, the one who put the stars in their place. And I want to say, um, this is an aside, but I think it's important, because somebody reached out to me in the last week or two and said, Michael, science and the Bible don't line up. Don't you think science is right? And I said, well, let's talk about that a second. Let's talk about that. Science is essentially saying right now that at some point there was this bang, right? And out of this bang, um, order came and the world was created. Well, the Bible simply says that God spoke and what happened? Bang. And bang, it was created. Those don't seem all that different to me. Now, what we don't agree on is what caused the bang or what caused the, the creation. But what we do agree on is there was nothing and at some point, the Lord spoke, and well, they wouldn't agree with that. But at some point, there was nothing, and then there was something. Now, this is the Jesus who created. By the way, our faith is intelligent. Americans have done a shoddy, sorry job, pastors, me included, of helping um, educate and bring in the historicity and the archaeological evidence, and, and actually going, our faith holds water and makes sense, and it does. Science is not against the Bible, nor is the Bible against science. They actually fit beautifully when you can begin to look at them. So here we have a God, Jesus, who's created the heavens and the earth, and he forsakes it all to come to earth. Now, some of you have 8, 9, 10-year-olds. They hit 12, 13, and 14, and they start talking back. Have you experienced that? Some of you are going, yeah. Some of you are going, not yet. That's okay. All right, here's the deal. Think of Jesus as a little boy and think of Mary correcting him. Can you imagine him wanting to just smart back at her and go, I created you? <laughs> I mean, we, we tend to like not think of Jesus in that capacity. And one of these huge arguments that has actually happened um, in the church is um, it, it actually comes from this word, kinos, um, and it's the kenosis uh, theory. And it's a big argument that basically uh, people, theologians got into and they said, this passage is saying that Jesus totally emptied himself and therefore left his deity behind and he became fully man. And I I would totally disagree with that. He walked the earth as fully human and fully God. It's very simple. Okay. So when it says he emptied himself, it's saying he emptied um, all of his, all that he had at his disposal, he chose to count as nothing for the sake of coming and being part and one with us, in uh, to obey the call of God the Father. That's what he's really sort of talking about here. Um, I think the other thing that I would want to point out is Matthew 20, 28. I love this scripture verse, um, but it says the Son of Man, that's the way Jesus often referred to himself, but it says the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. All right, let's try that. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but And give his life as a ransom for many. Some of you need to like write that down on a note card. And the next time you get in a frou-frou with your roommates or your spouse or your kids or your grandkids or your whoever, you need to pull that little note card out and go, what's my purpose here on earth? See, this, this passage gets super practical really fast. It's big and it's theological, and Paul's talking about Jesus um, pouring himself out, but then it gets very fiercely practical, which is sort of where we're heading. Um, something else that I, that I love that I think is um, at, at least important to mention as we're talking about Jesus emptying himself is Christians get all um, sort of bound up in uh, the mind of Christ. Have you ever heard people talk about that? The mind of Christ. You've got to have the mind of Christ. And it actually comes right out of this, um, this little passage right here. It says in verse 5, um, In your relationships with one another have the same attitude of mind that Christ Jesus had. Now, I think there's a big misnomer in American Christianity right now across the spectrum because um, we're, we're sort of saying that in order to all have the mind of Christ, we have to be unified on everything. We've got to agree on political parties. And what that means is we actually can't sit around a table and discuss differing opinions because people get upset. And I think that is wrong. I think that is wrong. See, the mind of Christ here is not, the mind of Christ is not Um, uniformity. In other words, that everyone says the same things and does the same thing and looks the same way and acts the same way and belongs to the same church. No, no, no. The mind of Christ is emptying yourself. The mind of Christ is, what did Christ Jesus do when he came? The mind of Christ is an attitude. It's a state of being. It is a choice to actually humble oneself before God. And in our, what did it say in that verse five? <clears throat> in your relationship. Say that with me. In your See, the mind of Christ is actually an attitude, it's a state of being in which you go, I am not here for my own self, for my self-aggrandizement, for my own needs to be met, but I am actually here to walk in companionship and participation with him and be emptied or poured out. That's keynote. That is what we are on earth to be and to do. And it's like the greatest love story that was ever told is being told right here. And Paul is saying, Jesus forsook it all. He forsook it all. He left everything. He came into this little stinky manger in a funny little country in the Middle East. And he left everything behind. He forsook it all. He didn't count his equality with God as something to be struggled or held on to. And he left it all and he injected himself into planet earth so that he could reach out and grab us. He poured himself out. And here's where I think we get into some trouble is we start thinking as Christians that we've got to be um, unanimous on everything. And I actually want to say and I want us as Saltbox to be a church that is diverse in its beliefs. I hope we have a strong Democratic representation here and a strong Republican representation here. And let me say to you, church, I could stand up next week and I could give you a theological sermon that would hold water on why being a Democrat is more reflective of the heart of Christ Jesus. And then I could come the next week, and I could give you a theological sermon that would hold water on why being a Republican is more reflective of the heart of Christ Jesus. And then I would come the third week, and I would say, neither of those things matter, because what matters is we are part of the kingdom of God. And all of those things are cast aside. We must not, as a church, become a group that says we're just this or just that. No, 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 no. We are unified. And one of my favorite quotes, Matt, if you'll put that next quote up there. This was a guy in the 1600s, and he said, In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. And in all things, charity. Say that with me. In essentials. In non-essentials. In all things, Now, here's the deal. There are some things that I would say are essential to our salvation in Christ Jesus. And to those things, we should be unified. A theologian would say, salvific. What a funny word. Salvific. It's what is essential to our salvation in Christ Jesus. Those are some important things. And then there's a whole lot of other periphery issues. And I would say, in non-essentials, thank you, in non-essentials, Come on, y'all can do better than that. In non essentials, liberty. liberty. And then in all things, charity. That's church. Church is not that we all look the same or cut our hair the same or dress the same or have the same color skin or the same socioeconomic background or went to the same colleges. No, no, no. Church is that we come together across a diversity of different opinions and backgrounds and places and we come together and we are unified around the things that are central to the gospel of Christ Jesus. We give great freedom around the things that are not essential and then in all things we join together for the charity and well-being of our city. That's Christianity. And that's what Christ Jesus is saying here. He's saying literally, I came and I poured myself out. I didn't hang on to who I was, ruler of heaven and earth. I came as a child, as an infant. Have you ever held an infant minutes or hours old in your arms? You know how fragile they are? When they hand you your first kid, you're like, oh, I'm going to break them. Please, you know, and you're terrified. At least I was. Maybe you weren't, but I was. And they said, cut the cord. And you're like, oh, and you're scared. I was scared to death. But it's like, you're going to hurt him. You're going to hurt the child. The child is so fragile. And here we have King Jesus, Lord of heaven and earth, creator of the universe. And he chooses to step into humanity, into the most fragile, tender little spot he could be. Because he loves you and because he loves me. He forsook it all. He emptied himself. The second thing Christ Jesus did is he humbled himself. I love this. I love this. I love this. You don't know it and I don't know it because in America we value the underdog. Right? We tend to root for the one who is the underdog. That's who we often go for. But pre Jesus, um, culture was defined um, by the Greco and the Roman worlds. And in those worlds, do you know what you valued? Hubris, personal strength, personal aggrandizement. I am. That's what, you, that's what you valued. And Christ Jesus was injected into the scene and all of humanity was shifted in terms of the way we look at the world. We now look at the world and, and tend to value um, humility, although we all fight against it, don't we? We all fight against it. Pride is a powerful thing. Uh, will you put up Isaiah 53, 7, Matt? I think that's important. I love this passage. It actually says, this was... Uh, we went back to our Isaiah series you could we could have used this but this is foretelling the coming of Christ Jesus 730 years or something before he came but Isaiah writes he was oppressed and afflicted and yet he did not oh man some of us could learn from that couldn't we let's try that again he was oppressed and afflicted and yet he did not He was like a lamb led to the slaughter. And as a sheep before his shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. He didn't even speak before Pilate. He didn't even defend himself. He didn't even say a word. He was so completely poured out. He was so completely humbled. He was so completely obedient. He was so completely um, established as humility that he laid it all down if I if i was like vulnerable with you for a second i would say every single day of my 30 i think i'm 39 39 years every single day to this very day i have a conversation and something comes out and i i just feel it click in the back of my head and go i could have been way more humble i could have been way more kind I could have been way more gentle. I could have been way more loving. I could have been way more an advocate for the person I was talking to. I could have stepped out of myself a little bit more and actually championed them. I've yet to go to bed at night and said, man, you killed it today, Michael. I don't think I'm going to until I enter into eternity. And that's what makes us safe before Jesus. Because, see, when we're going, Lord, I'm still humbling my I'm still learning to control my mouth. James says be quick to listen and slow to Oh, some of you need to write that down, don't you? Michael needs to write that down. Hold on. That's hard, isn't it? That's hard. But see, Jesus humbled himself. Here's a thought. You're never more like Satan than when you exalt yourself. Matt, will you change that slide? And you're never more like Jesus than when you humble yourself. We all sort of have radar for people who are making things all about themselves, don't don't we? When people are leading you towards themselves, our little red flags tend to go off. But I would actually say to you, when you are fighting for position or you're clinging to something or you're, you're scrapping to get something that you want, you are not being like Jesus. Because what Jesus did was lay it all down. He laid it all down. He humbled himself. I think the other thing that Paul points out here, and we're just going to touch on it, but at the very end of verse 8, it says, uh, he humbled himself. First it says, and being found in appearance as a human being, he humbled himself. And then it says, he became obedient to death. He had to choose death, by the way. He was God. He chose to die for you and me. That's love. That is the divine, like, just irresistible testimony of the love of Christ Jesus and then it goes on and it says even death on a cross now the apostle Paul knew that he would never be killed on a cross do you know why Jesus told him. almost he was a Roman citizen see being killed on a cross was so shameful that it was reserved for only the vilest and only the worst people Paul knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that he'd never be killed on a cross because he was a Roman citizen. He'd be given a swift, quick death if he was sentenced to die. The Apostle Peter, on the other hand, was not a Roman citizen. Could he be crucified? Yes. Yes. Now, here's the point. Jesus not only submitted himself to death and was silent before his accusers, but he actually submitted himself to the most shameful death in human history, which is death on a cross. For our sake. Now, my third point, and then I want to flip this whole thing and make it practical for us, is that God exalted Jesus. And I love, I love this. You can't miss this part. And it starts in verse 9. Therefore. Now, when you have a therefore, it's sort of citing everything before that in the passage, right? So we have Jesus emptied himself. Jesus humbled himself. Therefore. God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the Lord. That will happen, by the way. That day is coming, and that will happen. Now, God exalted Jesus. Put up my next slide, will you, Matt? I think this is important to see. Sounds like a storm's coming. Do I need to do anything? Do you want me to change? Okay, there we go. There we are. Um, So so I think this is, is really neat because you can actually see this sort of illustrated in the Easter sequence that Jesus took. He emptied himself in a garden called... Gethsemane. That's right. He wrestled. He actually wrestled with God. And he said, Lord, take this from me. I don't want to do this. I don't want to die on a cross. I don't want to give it all. I don't want to be separated from you. And then he ended that prayer. Do you remember how he ended? Not my will, but your will. Your will. He emptied himself. He poured himself out. And then he humbled himself. We just talked about it. But he went to death on a cross. And then God exalted him. From the grave rose him up from the grave, and God exalted him to the highest place, to the place that is above every place. Now, here's where I want to switch before we go into communion. Can you put up my next slide, Matt? We just went through that Jesus uh, emptied himself, Kinos, uh, Jesus humbled himself, and then Jesus was exalted by who? god now go back to verse five at the beginning of all this in your personal what relationships in your personal relationships we are called to empty ourselves we are called to humble ourselves now let's just talk about this for just a second We are called to empty ourselves. Let me, let me self-disclose another second here because I think it'll help you. Um, in October, Hurricane Dorian uh, created some damage at our house. It, uh, came, water came through a door, and it went all the way down the back wall and the kitchen wall, and it popped up our hardwoods, and insurance didn't get back to us for months, and they finally got back to us, and guess what? We're just now doing repairs, like literally right now. And what I've noticed is... Um, Abby and I are having these little kerfuffles. She's going to listen to this later and laugh and go, Michael, why did you say that? We're having these little kerfuffles over, what do we fix and what do we do and what color should this be and how should we do that and what about this over here? And I'm discovering I'm not very empty. I'm not very empty. And I think she's discovering the same thing. And it's been a great journey because I'm actually reminding myself that in a marriage relationship, and if you're here and you're single, it applies to your friendships. If you're here and you're a young person in school, it applies to you. In relationships, if you're in Christ Jesus and if he is in you, you are called to empty yourself. And to the degree that you are not emptying yourself, that you are not laying it down, I'd say you're exalting yourself. You're fighting to get your needs met. You're fighting to get um, sort of you be the center of your own universe and the center of your own existence. My favorite people on planet Earth are people who have emptied themselves. And it's usually come at great personal suffering and great personal sacrifice. Sacrifice. And God uses that in our lives to bring us to the point where he can fill us with his spirit. Because if we're not empty, can he fill us? No. It takes emptiness so that he can fill us. How can I serve? How can I help? How can I bless? Not, how can I get How can I get my needs met? How can I make sure I'm comfortable? No, no, no. It's a total shift. So Paul is literally saying here, this is how Jesus did it. Now, this is how you're called to do it. The second thing he then says is you're called to humble ourselves. Let me make a statement here because I think it, it could be helpful for some of you. Is control love? No. No. Is trying to manipulate someone for their own good love? No. No. See, the greatest freedom that God gave us was freedom in the garden. It is the original love story. It's the freedom to choose. It's the freedom to let it go. It's the the call then to humble ourselves. And if we're going to love people like he loved us, we have to give freedom. In any relationship, if you are fighting and trying to control and trying to dominate, I would actually say you are not being filled with the love of Christ. Love is freedom. And you could also say if someone's trying to do that to you, that is not a relationship that is reflective of the love of Christ Jesus. I want to point something out here. Um, You all know this. Some of you I don't know, maybe you may not, but pornography is pervasive in our culture. And who's got a smartphone? Somebody hold up a smartphone for me. These little devices give, um, and now give kids. So I used to coach soccer with our older kids, and I used to go volunteer at school. And I became aware, I was also a youth pastor, and I became aware of just how many kids are looking at garbage on their phones. Now, I just want to say this. That is self-gratification, right? And that's why it's against the heart of God. It's the same reason why rape would be against the heart of God. It's overcoming another person's will. It is absolutely the antithesis of what Christ Jesus did. He emptied himself. He poured himself out. He humbled himself. He reduced himself to nothing. And to any degree where we try to force another person to do something against their will, we are overriding the gospel of Christ Jesus. Love is freedom. Love is open hands. Love is empowerment. Love is respect. I want to make another statement. The Bible's clear that he calls us to reserve sex for marriage. And this is something young people notoriously struggle with. Why? Because see, in the bond of marriage, two people come together and you're committing your life one to another and suddenly sex is not just me-centric. It's about blessing. It's about giving. And before that bond, it is me-centric. Now, here's why I'm going here. We as a people and we as a church are called to be others-centric. One of the core values of Saltbox: we are called to be outward focused. We are called to give. We are called to sacrifice. We are called to lay down. We are called to literally pour ourselves out for people. We are not called to exalt ourselves. We are not called to fight for position. We are not called to jockey so that we can get our own way. No, 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 no. To the extent that any of those things is pervasive in your life, you are missing the life and the love of Christ Jesus. And you might sit there today and go, Michael, I don't know how to get from where I am to where you're talking about it probably starts with forgiving a parent or the person that raised you. It probably starts by letting go of some people who have modeled for you love that is not love at all. And then you can begin to actually drink deeply of this love of Christ Jesus that is freedom-based, that is humility-centered, that is pouring oneself out. And in that, all of a sudden, you find true love. It's in that place of freedom. And then the last thing we have is that Christ then exalts us. There's whole, there's whole groups of the Christian world right now that they, they skip these first two points and they go right to this third one and they go, you're a son and you're a daughter. You are. You are positionally in Christ Jesus. You are a son and you are a daughter if you're in him. But you cannot get to that position without emptying yourself and humbling yourself. It's what Jesus preached when he said, take up your cross and follow me. That's the humility. That's the emptying. That's the humbling. That is the gospel of Christ Jesus. And when I see religious people out there cramming a gospel down someone's throat... Or telling them what they're doing wrong and not humbling themselves and not serving and not loving and not asking, how can I help? When I see someone coming in moral forward and trying to force something on somebody instead of doing what Jesus did, I would actually look at that person and say, you are off base. You are not even preaching the gospel. Who did Jesus reserve his greatest criticism for? Church people. The Pharisees. Who did he give the greatest love and the greatest freedom to? Broken people, people like me, people who needed a Savior, people who needed hope. Lord Jesus, let us always be a church where people who are broken and who need hope and who need love feel safe.